Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 200 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is December 19th, 2011. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We're doing a little different this week. We are coming at you from McKay's Restaurant just across the street from the USC campus. We have a round table. we got some fans here. Say hi guys. Say hi. 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 All right, everyone. And then we have a nice round table of people that you normally see on the show, but we have them all in the same room, all at one time. You know we have some good talkers here on the podcast. I will not be able to get a word in edgewise, so I want to say a few things right away. If you have any questions or comments for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. You can drop us a line there or call us, 206-888-6755. And I want to introduce our roundtable here at McKay's Restaurant. Thanks, a uh, big shout out to Gino for letting us do the show here for our 200th episode. Maybe we'll go start off with uh, the man to my right, Coach Harvey Hyde, who's here. He's in the first episode. He's in the first segment usually of the show every week. We talk about which episode it is. Two hundred, Harvey. How you doing, man? Two hundred, buddy. And thank you very much. And I'll tell you, having us all together, I think it's a great idea to share ideas and thoughts about the USC Trojan uh, past, future, today, whatever. Here at McKay's, and I want to say this: this is the first time I've been at McKay's. I know you guys have been here a lot of times. But I'm really impressed. I've been reading all and looking at all the pictures and so on that are in here. This is an outstanding uh, place for people to come, and I know I'll be back. I think you said it's a great idea because it was your idea. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a great idea or not, but it is a great idea that we're all here together. Uh, all right. Well, thanks, Coach. And we have also Dan Weber, who uh, covers the team for USCFootball.com, has been on the show a hundred. Probably 150 times or so, Coach. What, I mean, uh, Coach Dan, how are you doing? Very good. Uh, my wife uh, asked. She said, "You couldn't have possibly been on 200 times, could you?" I said, "No, no, 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 no. not me." No, but, but you've been on a lot. Yeah, almost every week, Coach Harvey's been on just about every one. We started them in uh, February 15th, 2008. So I think we've gone every week. I think I missed one. I think I missed my wedding week or something like that. Like a poor excuse. Uh, but we've also done extra ones. We've done some Trojan Blast podcasts. And the, the man that we have normally on Trojan Blast is Gerard Martinez sitting over here to Dan's right. Gerard covers USC football recruiting. What's up, man? I'm doing good. Um, as uh, Coach said, it's, it's great to be here. And uh, McKay's always been really warm with us. And uh, welcome to us here for the live show that we do uh, almost every week. And uh, we'll, I guess we'll be here probably for a 200 episode. How many years will that be from uh, today? We're doing the live show for 200 episodes. 200 episodes. That'd be a lot. That'd be a lot for the live show. I'm not sure. Um, we not. We might not be able to lug all that equipment around. Time to hopefully, we have better equipment by then, and all the, <laughs> the case that we bring it all around. But it's all good. We'll have uh, you know people be able to wheel around for us. Yes, I, if, by that, we need more interns. interns. Yes, we need interns. That's a, this is a cry out for. More interns for uscfootball.com. Email me, podcast at uscfootball.com, if you want to intern for the show and carry our stuff around for the live show. <laughs> uh, we probably won't do a live show this week, just some house cleaning stuff. We probably won't do a live show. I'm flying back east for Christmas family stuff, so I won't do that. And I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. 
you can go to sctickets.com, give them a call, 1-800-888-7287 for concerts, sporting events, theater. You want to go to the Rose Bowl, sit in uh, Coach Harvey's Hyde luxury box. Like, how many boxes do you have? At, just at, two this year. Two. <laughs> but we're building a new addition to it, so we'll pick up a couple more. Now, oh, I like that. It's pretty yeah, good. Yeah. Um, well, guys, I, maybe we could take a look back on the uh, season. We, I got to talk with uh, oh the other surprise I guess I haven't revealed yet. I got to talk with Coach Lane Kiffin. Uh, a little bit earlier, so I was over on campus and did a one-on-one interview with Coach Lane Kiffin, so we'll have that coming up for you uh, right after this uh, roundtable segment. So it's kind of interesting to see what he had to say looking back. He had some interesting stuff to say about Matt Barkley and uh, all that kind of stuff. But looking back on this 10-2 and two season, maybe everyone can kind of chime in. What, what did you think overall of how that season went? Well, I, you know, I'll, I'll start it off. Uh, <clears throat> I think uh, – at the beginning of the season, I was pretty critical on USC as far as the way they played offensively and defensively and, and, and a lot of the play calling and different things that were done during the year. I, I think if you're a regular listener, you've heard my opinion and uh, whether you agree or not. But I think they, as the season went along, I think they grew as a team and they grew as a coaching staff. And they grew in all different areas. They became united. They won some close football games, which really helped them as far as believing in themselves. And I think they really uh, had and became an identity and a force at Notre Dame. I think that's really when they matured. If, uh, if you remember right after that game, I said it was time to hand out some razors. These guys had grown up. They aren't kids any longer. There's everybody was talking about we're playing so many freshmen, so many freshmen, so many freshmen. I got tired of hearing that. And really, uh, all of a sudden, these guys grew up and they started to play like men. And that carried on throughout the remainder of the season. I thought the play calling became better. Uh, Coach Kiffin found out there uh, were other great players other than just Robert Woods on the team. And they diversified the, and spread the field. And and made it very difficult to stop people by doing that. And I think two great linebackers, freshman linebackers, emerged. And, uh, and, uh, and the defensive line started to play like everyone expected them to play early in the season. They weren't playing well at all. So the first half of the season, I would give them a C. As far as overall performance, the second half of the season, I would give them an A as far as overall performance. I, I think that right now if they were to play in a BCS Bowl game, I'd love to see them play Alabama or I'd love to see them play LSU in a, on a neutral field, and I think it would be a great football game. That's my wrap-up for the entire year. What about you, Dan? Uh, you're all, all those practices. What do you think? I, I actually might put the uh, uh, coming of age uh, the game before. The Cal game, I thought they got it. They uh, didn't have a great offensive game, and they showed up and, and – just did everything you have to do on defense as a team. And I thought Lane really matured that night. It was the first time we saw him after a not really outstanding offensive performance and he wasn't even a little bit disturbed because he realized they had just throttled Cal with their defense and the special teams. And that's, you know, that's how you're going to win a lot of football games. And I think they all kind of they had a coming together of, okay, this is who we are and this is what we can do. I think the thing that, that happened that is really hard to evaluate is how much better they got the second half of the season week to week to week. They are, for example, when they played Oregon, they were probably two touchdowns better than when they played Stanford. I mean, they were getting that much be- better that much faster. And because they were so young and we really didn't know where they were coming from, uh, they really, really improved. I mean, that's why 
you would like to see them in that bowl game because I think it would be tough to play them in a bowl game because where they're going to be, let's say, if they had the four or five weeks to get ready, would not be where they were even the last few games. I would not want, have wanted to play them in a bowl game. He, I think Lane figured out all the weapons that they had. I thought the way he mixed uh, the, uh, the, you know, the vertical passing game with uh, Curtis McNeil, the way they understood, you know, all year long they were talking about our offensive line, our offensive line, and except for the statistical goof up of the, you know, uh, intentional grounding call that becomes a team sack, it was just beyond stupid. Uh, they have the fewest sacks of anybody in the nation. That's amazing. I mean, it's not like they've got the most, you know, mobile quarterback, although his ability in the second half of the season to understand everything he had around him. And uh, I think he, Matt Barkley's development allowed Lane to be more of a head coach the second half of the season and not worry about what's the next play on my, that Lane would make it right or that uh, Matt would make it right. So I just thought the, the fact that virtually everybody on the team came through. You know, you put Red Allison at fullback and then you need to back him up with Ross Cummings. Everybody they put everywhere did what they were supposed to do. It was amazing. I mean, Deion Bailey, you know, you just name it, Jawanda Starling, once they figured out how they had to play on defense, everybody came through. How often does that happen? Yeah, great points there from both you guys. And Gerard, with the 10-2 and two season, how does that affect <laughs> recruiting going into, this is going to be, you know, the signing day coming up in February. First year, the USC is going to go with 15 scholarships as opposed to 25, they have to be down under 75. I mean, how important is that to have a successful season going into these sanctions? It's important. I think as Coach and Dan both touched upon, I think the most important thing is how you get to 10 and 2. I think when kids see that you're developing talent on your roster, they get excited because you can come to 10 and 2 a lot of different ways. And, you know, like everybody talked about, it was not the greatest looking team at the beginning of the season. They seem to have a lot of the same issues that they had last year. Uh, offensively, they were a little inconsistent. They had some big playability, but you didn't see them necessarily uh, being able to run the ball consistently or hit the underneath passes consistently. Barkley would have two or three passes every game that you'd kind of cringe at and go, uh-oh, you know, he's throwing in the triple coverage or he'd throw a really bad pick, and, and then he'd throw a really good ball, but it was real inconsistent. And as we started to see towards the end of the season, the defense definitely kind of turned it around. And you see guys that are, you know, redshirt freshmen like Deion Bailey, uh, you know, Hayes Pullard, those guys were able to come in as redshirts and be able to get better throughout the season. I mean, Hayes Pullard played a spectacular game against Oregon. I mean, he came out of nowhere just to basically be a guy that was on an island having to basically take away uh, Michael James or Darren Thomas, depending on what his read was. So that was one of those scenes that was really big where you saw a guy be able to step up that was in the program a year, didn't play his first year, but was able to practice and was able to get coached up and develop through the season and get better as this season you know, kind of progressed. So I think when recruits see that, you got two linebacker recruits that USC's going after. You've got two outside linebackers that are redshirt freshmen. I think that's where you get to see the coaches be able to recruit because those guys are looking and going, man, how am I going to be able to, to, to get playing time? i got two guys in front of me that are only a year ahead of me. Do I still want to go to USC? And there was a lot of questions that came up with Scott Starr, uh, 6'3", 225th linebacker from Norco, and Jabari Ruffin, 6'4", 225th linebacker from Downey. So you got two four-star guys, and the coaches were still able to show them, listen, we're going to develop you like we develop these guys. It's going to maybe take some time, but we can find ways to, contribute, to allow you to contribute. And I think that development, that's really what excites guys. They're seeing a program on the rise, and that's always the most dangerous thing to recruit. You know, one of the 
key things for a guy like Hayes Ballard if you were there at Austin Stadium. The thing that, I mean, there were many moments in that game where the Oregon crowd got very quiet. And one of the reasons they got quiet is they were watching Hayes Ballard run with their running backs. And they were creating no separation. And their fans are sitting there going, uh-oh, this isn't good. And, and you know, Hayes he was so amazing. Some of the wheel routes he covered, I think he had to cover all three tailbacks. Yes, Anthony Thomas late in the game. He and and he's right there. You know, and, and I think their fans are sitting there, and they're, not, they're used to seeing separation, big right. separation. And all of a sudden, there's no separation. You know, yeah. they're seeing the USC linebackers running with their running backs. And that, that quieted that stadium. That was like, what are we seeing here? And I think that was, uh, that's where, uh, you know, a kid like Hayes Pillard coming through. Uh, it really matters. I think the number one statement, if we're talking about the Oregon game, was where I, and I think, became a believer in USC, is at the end of the game, Oregon had the ball, they were driving down the field, and they run their speed-up offense, speed-up offense, and they were moving down the, ball, the field. I, I thought for sure they would score. And he went against his exact philosophy. He slowed the game down and was willing to settle for a field goal on the last play of the game. If he could, he could have run three or four more plays, and at that time they had the momentum, and he surrendered. He went exactly opposite from what he believes and what he's been preaching to his team as far as we're going to run faster plays, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. He went opposite and put it all on the shoulders of that kicker to win that football game for him, and that's something that kicker has not had to do. And he was prepared to do that. And I think that's when the white flag went up. I said before that, and I was sitting at home watching the game, I told my wife, he will miss this kick. He will miss this kick. And he yeah, the thing is, people don't surrender unless you make them surrender. And what made him surrender was the play where Jawanji Starling is, is uh, you know, one-on-one, -on -one and he makes the tackle. Boom, that's right in front of their bench. And Kelly, I think, said, if they make another play like that, Mm, we may not get and that, any and that of that. play kind of exemplifies, you know, USC's defense this year as opposed to last year. I mean, last year we, we didn't see any of those plays where guys were making tackles like that in space. And just fundamentally being tough, being physical, and being sound, and you saw the maturation of the whole defense. And, again, it kind of goes back to, you know, kids want to be put in that position where they can be successful. They can be set up to have success. And if they're going to a defense or they're going to a program, that they have to kind of be good on their own. They're a little nervous about that. And, and I've always said uncertainty with recruiting is a it's, it's a virus. You don't want it in your program. You don't want it in recruiting. And it's, that's why it's always harder to kind of go out of state and go far away and get guys because they're just a little uncertain of the system and, you know, going that far away from home and the coaches. And I don't know if I'll get along with kids in Southern California. But if you're a lot, if you get them comfortable and you have a plan for them, then they're, they're going to buy into it much quicker. And I think with this defense – this offense, Lane's got a plan, and the plan has succeeded thus far, and I think kids are willing to buy into a little more. And the, the playoff, the word certainty, the, the most amazing thing, I was standing at the corner of the, there's that little area that you're not allowed to be in, uh, the that team bench area, in? and I was standing right on the outside of it, <laughs> and reaction, you know, it had the best angle of, uh, you could get an angle on uh, the last drive, and the thing that was so interesting, as soon as Oregon decided to go, you know, kick the field goal, the USC bench kind of erupted because this is, again, uh, detail and coaching like Baxter. Yeah, yeah. They were convinced, and he had told them this. He said, first of all, what Harvey said, 
uh, this kid's going to miss. And they had convinced themselves, A, he's either going to try to kick it straight and we're going to block it, or he'll miss it. He'll <laughs> hook it. And the, the team reacted like we win the game before they're even kicking the field goal. USC's semi-celebrating because they knew he was going to miss it. it. It was kind of one of these amazing things you just saw. Because, you know, we're not, we don't know what, for example, they talked about all week and, uh, and, and all the game preparation. So we hadn't understood that they had gone over that very thing, that if they have to kick a field goal, they're going to miss it. But the USC kids all knew. They were like, he's going to miss it. Confidence, for, confidence from them. Um, well, you're exactly right. That's a true story. That's the last thing they said in the Friday night meetings before they broke. That's the last time they, the last thing they talked about. If it comes down to a field goal, we'll win this football game. This is the thing about this USC team. If you talk to these kids, you hear back so much of the stuff that the coaches are saying to them. They can repeat, you know, there's not any one of them that can't give you four or five backstorisms where they just say, <laughs> boom, 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 and they remember it and they pay attention to it. Uh, the, the, the ability for this young team to take in the kind of detail that they were able to take in is kind of amazing. I had one of the better coaching jobs you've ever seen to go from where they were to where they finished. Uh, that, that's a team buying in. You know, that's the, and I mean, to, to, to contrast it with recruiting, when I'm talking to a kid and he comes from an official visit or he comes from an in-home visit, with coaches, and he starts to regurgitate some of those isms, as you talked about, the academic game plan. That was a clear sign to me when I talked to Jordan Simmons at his Army All-American uh, ceremony, and his parents started talking about, you know, we're looking for an academic game plan. I said, oh, well, they found it already, and that's yeah. at USC, because that's something that Coach Baxter talks about all the time with kids, so it's that kind of regurgitation. You get the sense, okay, they're buying in here, and, and that's what recruiting, and that's what the team's want. Uh, well, let's, uh, the topic that comes up the most, at least for me, people want to ask about this all the time. What is going on with Matt Barkley? And, we, and I talked to Lane Kiffin about that. You'll hear that a little bit later on in the show when we play that. But he called him the Super Sevens, Matt Barkley and TJ McDonald. They're both number seven. And I was on the show with you uh, on Sunday, Coach, and just kind of maybe get your thoughts. And everyone just kind of chime in. What do you think about what's going on with Matt Barkley right now? Well, uh, we sort of talked about this before we went on the air today, uh, and you know, my feeling is, is I think that he needs to step up and make a decision here right away. I, I think that uh, uh, you've done all the investigating you can do. I mean, you know what your feeling is. Uh, you've got emotion involved in this as far as wanting to stay at USC, yet you've got the business side of it as far as wondering if you should move on now and go to the NFL. But I think that it's time to, to step up and, and, and make your decision. Uh, and what I mean by this, if you're going to stay, Gerard, you know this, then get involved in helping recruiting and let everybody know why you're staying and make that as an example. I'm staying here because of this and of that. And they've been, what everything that's happened to me is why I'm staying. I'm turning down millions of dollars because this is USC and this is why you should come here and take advantage of this. If you're leaving, then stand up and say, I'm leaving because of this and whatever his reasons might be. And that, again, puts the coaching staff in a position and the team in a position to know that they have that extra scholarship available. Plus, if they decide they need another quarterback, they can go out there and find another quarterback. That's what their thoughts are. If it's not their thoughts, fine. But I think T.J. McDonald should do the same. But there's outstanding players out there 
who as, as Gerard made, uh, mentioned to you a moment ago, that might not want to come to USC because of certain players coming back and so on. So I think that these kids have got to step up, like Perry has done and Layla's done, and, and step up and make their decision, whether it's, if it's uh, say, a good decision as far as USC is concerned, which means they come back, or if it's moving on. But one way or another, make that decision for the best interest of themselves so they can make their plans on what they have to do and get an agent and start training and for the combine or this and that. Or if they plan on coming back and helping recruiting and so on for the team as a team effort. Well, what's your thoughts on that? I'm not, I'm not as, as critical in terms of the uh, timing and all of that. I, I think, and I don't know that people understand this, but I think USC's at a place where uh, they're in a position to make almost anything work for them. I mean, Matt Barkley, is, if he doesn't leave this year, he's going to leave next year. Someone's going to have to replace him. Uh, somebody had to replace Carson and somebody, you know. So I think they're, they're in a position where whatever happens, and I get the sense from Lane, I mean, obviously he would love to have him back, the Super 7s. Uh, he's pointed out, and I agree, and I, I've written this, that a quarterback is different. He can do and build in ways in which a Matt Khalil can't build off of uh, you know being a left tackle. A quarterback can develop relationships with people and, and, and there, you can make a case that by waiting a year he can make more money and he can have a you know a better future uh, in, a, in a whole lot of ways. So uh, so I don't think it's that critical. I, I think they're going to do, I think where they are now, I think people are, you know, we read guys on the P who talk about if he comes back we're going to have 40 touchdown passes and five interceptions from the quarterback. If he doesn't, we're going to have 20 touchdown passes and 15 uh, interceptions from a first-year quarterback. And that's not true. I mean, it, you know, they're in a different place. The quarterback that will start next year uh, in the Hawaii game will be in a better place than Matt Barkley was starting this year. They hadn't figured out what they wanted to do, how they wanted to do it. That quarterback that starts for USC next year uh, if it's not Matt Barkley, will be uh, uh, a better prepared, probably, to take advantage of all the weapons around him than Matt was, and it was, uh, and, and Matt was able to take care of it, you know, and, and develop because he was a third-year kid who had started all three years. But uh, I don't think it's that crucial. I'd love to see him back. I think the difference that it'll, it'll make is where USC starts out, what everybody thinks about them, how ESPN has them in every conversation. Uh, and I think people, it's too easy, for example, Ted Miller, ESPN, who we really like and respect, uh, falls into the trap where he says, uh, uh, next year, uh, Oregon, kind of no matter what happens, they'll be in the national title hunt. USC, if those guys leave, maybe an eight-win team. Just doesn't make any sense. Ted just doesn't get it right. <laughs> And uh, I think a lot of people are, are not getting it right. You look at that defense, you look at uh, uh, the weapons that whenever quarterback comes in, and you look at the coaches who seem to have really figured out how to you know, blend the running attack with the tight ends, with the deep vertical passing, which is really hard. Some, they're going to find somebody that's going to throw the ball down the field deep. And uh, I think we were always conditioned to believe, you know, uh-oh, throw it down deep, that's trouble. Right now, the more you're throwing the ball down deep, and you throw George Farmer into that mix, maybe coming out of the backfield, lining up at the slot, 
it's really hard to defend downfield against the kind of athletes USC is going to be sending downfield. And I think they're going to do that, you know, from day one. And uh, so I think they'll do it with, with whatever quarterback is here to do it with. You know, there's one quick uh, question or uh, response before we go to Gerald here. You know, I think where SC Beauty became a football team, everybody keeps talking about the pass, 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 and stats, and how many touchdown passes they throw and so on, is when they decided they were going to run the football. And I talked about that the entire year. They didn't want to run the football. There was no question in my mind. There was no dedication. There was no commitment to running the football. When they decided to run the football, when the season got going, they became a complete football team. They were not a complete football team until they decided to run the football. And that's what made them uh, become a great passing football team, too, is because they were able to throw off the play-action pass and they had a more rounded attack. Well, I think part of it was, I think Lane's always been committed to running it. I don't think he knew how to run it or who to run it with until they figured out what they had, the offensive line, and it all kind of developed uh, together. And I think, you know, the, the, the way he figured out how we can run the ball uh, with the way we're throwing the ball, I thought was the, the, you know, offensively, I thought that was the most important thing that happened this year, that he really saw the opportunity. And what you saw for the first time in a long time, you started seeing the home run runs, the 70 yard runs. We hadn't seen that. How long? Reggie, I guess. Uh, and that was really, that was Lane, I think. Lane really figured some things out. And uh, I don't think they had any idea. You know, they go into the season, they're not sure where's Mark Tyler in this. I mean, we had four different starting tailbacks, in effect. And everybody had their own uh, thing they could do. And I think you basically need Curtis McNeil to step up and uh, with, with Mark Tyler. Uh, but... Uh, uh, I think that was the most important thing is figuring out how to do that and then realizing how you could use Marquise Lee and uh, Robert Woods together, how that could develop. And that doesn't happen right away. That, I mean, very few teams even have that opportunity to try to figure out how do we use these two guys together. I mean, and he did. All right, well, you know what? We're, let's take a quick break here. We're going to play the Lane Kiffin interview that I did. Uh, with Lane just a little bit earlier today. Then we're going to come back and we'll finish up the round table. Give us a chance to order a little lunch, guys, and then we'll uh, then we'll be able to eat after the show. But thanks, everyone, for uh, tuning in. This is our 200th episode of the Peristyle Podcast. 30-second break. We're going to play the Lane Kiffin interview, and then we'll come back with the rest of the round table. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have USC head coach Lane Kiffin joining the show for our 200th episode. Thanks for coming on, Coach. Thanks for having me. How's everything uh, How's everything going so far in this offseason? Great. Uh, it's been very productive so far on the road recruiting and just trying to do a pound away. 
Um, want to talk to you a little bit about the last season, ten and two. Looking back, what did, what were your overall thoughts on uh, how you guys finished off, especially? Well, we we finished off great, and so you know it was your goal is always to be playing your your best at the end of the season, and so it's why our systems involve our young guys so early and putting them in, and they make the mistakes early, and hopefully they're not making as many late, especially when you go on the road. So. Um, it, it was great to see our guys develop so many young players making so many plays in all three phases of the game and then you know to end the last last two games of the year with you know going up and knocking off the longest home winning streak and then beating our tribal 50 to nothing was pretty special especially for our seniors um, kind of looking back I guess it was about 10 years ago or maybe 11 years ago when you first came you know you first came here to USC you were 24 or 25 years old hired as the tight end coach Looking back, like how, how different is it from when you were here then into now? Well, I think there's a lot of parallels from that second season. You know, we've improved a lot from year one to year two, just like we did with this team. And then in that year two, really a defining moment for year two was the Oregon game up there. Carson Palmer had a huge day, set the school record, I believe, for most yards at the time, which Barkley's broke since. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a young receiver that day made a bunch of plays, um, had a huge day, a true freshman receiver named Mike Williams. And the defense started to play a lot better that day and throughout the end of the season and, and really that's almost exactly what happened you know this team in second year together uh, with a quarterback that really put himself on a national map in that Oregon game with a great game and Marquise Lee having a fabulous game as a true freshman receiver and the defense starting to play better in the end of the year uh, it, was, it was pretty interesting to see the parallels. Uh, personally for you when you came and got hired in I think you came over from Jacksonville I don't if I remember this right you were at the I think you came right in after signing day. Was that right? Is when you came in, or oh, somewhere I don't right? I really on? remember. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I'm. I'm not really sure of the timing of it. Um, you know, that was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. The, I've been uh, through a lot since then. It, no, for <laughs> certainly that's why I was. I mean, if I if I remember it correctly, you came in and uh, you just came in for signing day. There was the the uh, signing day party that they have over at uh, I think it was Town and Gown at the time. And uh, I was over there, and I we got, I got to meet you like right right away. And I think you were just kind of you were just kind of discombobulated a little bit coming in. I was like, well, I just came in, you know, to this this situation, and just seeing how you were then, it, it's hard to imagine. Like, oh, ten years later, he's the head coach of this team. Yeah, no, it's been a, it's been a wild ride, but you know, obviously, you know, in those years, they're so critical in your development and coaching. And you go through so many things, and um, been fortunate to be with a lot of really great coaches since then, and. And you know now making the, the really the circle of going to Oakland and then Tennessee and then coming back here, uh, it's been really special. But obviously, it's made me a lot better learning from a lot of mistakes along the way. The uh, the Oakland experience was kind of interesting. I got to meet you again down in. Uh, we'll talk to you again at uh, Mobile, Alabama Senior Bowl. I don't know if you remember that. You got to you were be able to coach in that game, and there was I think eight or nine USC players were were playing in that game. Um, it was you know. Got to see a lot of old friends and stuff back there. I think, you know, it was Pete Carroll. I think stopped in for a little bit. How was that experience for you? It was good. You know, we got to that. That experience is very valuable because you get to work with those guys. You know, and, and you get to work with them the whole week in practice. And sometimes you end up drafting some of them, or later down the road, free agency or trades for them. So it's just really good to always be around coaching around good players and. Uh, so that was a really good experience, and there were, I think, nine USC guys on that roster. Yeah, there was like uh, John David Booty, Chauncey Washington was there, Terrell Thomas, who's had a good year. He got hurt this year. Cedric Ellis, Sam Baker, Fred Davis, who had a good year, Lawrence Jackson. I got to play against Matt Forte, so he was one of the stars in that one. Joe Flacco uh, was one of the quarterbacks. Uh, Jordy Nelson, so some other mm-hmm. stars there. Uh, that was a definitely fun experience. 
Did you miss any of the, the NFL aspects that, you know, what you got to do in the NFL as opposed to college? I wouldn't really say I miss it, you know, but to describe it, it's two different worlds. You know, really in college football, you have multiple seasons. Really, you play football, then you, then you go recruit, then you have spring, then you go recruit again. And so it's just kind of changing. You have high school camps um, in the summer where the NFL basically is just football all year long. And so there's good and bad. You know, football all year long allows you to, to really get good at the X's and O's in, this, in the schematical side of the game. Um, but also can be long and tedious and doing the same thing over and over. So I like the college atmosphere better because you do switch. You know, you do get the competitiveness of the games. But then you also have the competitiveness of recruiting as you go into now, you know, for seniors now and then as you go into spring for juniors at that time. So uh, I like what I kind of call the change of seasons in coaching in college. The – no, having, having no bowl game, you don't have the bowl practices, get the team ready, but you can also spend a little bit more time on recruiting. How's that kind of balanced out for you? Is that, has it kind of helped you a little bit in some aspects? Yeah, I think the last two years it has. You know, having no bowl game allows us to be totally focused on recruiting, even though there's some good things about the bowl games when you bring the kids in sometimes on their visits to get to see a practice. So you, right. you do miss some of that stuff. You miss the development of your current roster because you don't have those practices. So, uh, you know, you miss that with your current team, but you help your future team because – 100% of our focus is on recruiting. Um, did you bring your master plan we can take a look at for this? <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, you've said you've had a plan and seemed to kind of follow along the whole way. Have you had to kind of change the way it's happened? I mean, the, nothing's changed sanctions-wise, but just the way that you're kind of looking at the roster, like how to plan for three years from now. Is that something you have to alternate, like uh, alter like along the way? Yeah, you're always, you're always trying to look at where you are and trying to predict what's going to happen. It's never going to go exactly right. I mean, just this morning right before I came down here was up there and just moving some numbers around because you never know who's going to redshirt to when they come in. And even though we've tried to redshirt as many guys over the last two years, knowing what was coming, you still don't know who's going to, you know, who's going to be the star, who's going to redshirt. And sometimes now the, you know, the players, the top players that we recruit now, when they come here and they start playing and having years like Marquise Lee did, you know, as a freshman or some of the linebackers did, we got, now we've got to project those guys as three-year guys you know, because they just don't stay very often. You know, these great players, for the most part, as we're seeing over the last two years, are going to leave. And so we also have to take that into the numbers. You know, Usually when you sign them, you think it's five or four years. Really, nowadays, for us, it's five, four, or three years yeah. if you look at it. Um, and there's also some planning, too, as far as juniors leaving early. There's a couple guys, Nick Perry and, and Matt Clear. You kind of had some nice things to say about them going to the – the NFL, but there's still a couple of guys left that you're, that, I mean, that's part of, has to be part of the plan as well, right? Yeah, the super sevens. We're hoping <laughs> those two come back. You know, the other two guys really, you know, as you look at Matt Cleo's situation, you know, potentially the number one lineman off the board and some talk of him going two, three, or four in the draft. For a lineman, you know, you can't really do better than that. And the individual awards are different as a lineman, you know, the spotlight. So uh, his decision was really easy. As you look at it that way, the only thing holding him back was he was having so much fun, and he knows how good this team could be. That was the only thing that didn't make it. Why? Why he took a long time to make the decision okay. to do it right after the last game. Um, and Nick Perry's situation, knowing how well Nick played this year, how well Nick's going to test. Because as we know at that level, it's not just your film. How well are you going to test? And some guys are good testers, and some guys aren't. You know, just because of their body type and their explosiveness. Nick Perry's a, a great tester, so he's going to go to the combine and blow it up. So. His production probably put him into the first round, and now his testing will probably move him up in the first round. Uh, have you been trying to recruit 
Barkley and, uh, and McDonald, the Super 7s, as you call them, trying sure. to get them. <laughs> yeah, no, I just said with Tim McDonald this week uh, up in Fresno, I went by to see him. So, yeah, it's not really recruiting. It's really just giving them, painting a picture of what is reality and what are the facts so they don't get lost. Um, there's so much stuff out there. So many people, you know, I don't know what the numbers are, but if you took a poll of how many kids considering the draft are being told by someone they're first-rounders, you're probably going to find 200 of them. Well, there's only 32 picks. So all yeah. 200 of them aren't going to the first right. round. They all think it because someone tells them it, yeah. and they want to believe that. So oh, we just try to get as much information to them and then paint the picture. If you do come back, you know, how can we enhance your status, you know, in T.J. McDonald's situation? In Matt Barkley's situation, how can we do more with you? How can we do more things in our offense that will make you even more valuable uh, when you come out a year from now? And then Matt Barkley's deal is a little bit different because there's so much individual attention at that position. Yeah. You know, he comes back, he's a front runner for the Heisman and all the, the talk that will be about how many games can you win and the, all the records that he'll break you know, in the history of the conference. So his is a little bit different. His isn't necessarily as much how much are you going to move up in the draft because he's probably already up there in the top eight already. But – what can you do to kind of leave a legacy, you know, that, that you'll remember forever that and now you gotta wait. Do you want the money for a year, you know, and, and go go get your dream or do you want that and wait a year? Yeah, we get this question a lot. Everyone asks us like, what's Matt Barkley gonna do? You know, what's your gut feeling? And everyone has said something do you have a gut feeling or anything about what, what which way you think he's leaning? Yeah, I've, I've spent a lot of time with him and, and everybody involved in this and so I don't think anybody really knows. I don't think Matt even knows today. Uh uh, Matt wants to stay, and he'll be very happy if he does stay. He's not going to regret that. No, Matt, he's going to go full speed whatever decision he makes. Uh, I think he had so much fun, and he knows how the skill is around him, how good it how good it was a year ago, and how much better is he going to be a year from now. And so I think that that's, that's drawing him back. And he was having so much fun, and he loves USC. He loves everything about USC. But at the same time, it's hard to give up your dream, even though you say, well, you'll wait a year for it. Kids grow up and their dreams to play in the NFL, just like his was, and so he can go do that right now. So Matt, he's just got to weigh that out. Um, as far as the the plan goes, and you're talking about like uh, a Bryce Butler, uh, got, the picture was taken at Kansas a week and taking visits. There might be some guys that you know you had three freshman linebackers play. I mean, maybe there's guys that aren't getting the kind of playing time that you would expect. Uh, how does that kind of work into the plan as, as far as guys maybe leaving the program? Well, that's always going to happen. You're always going to deal with kids transferring. Everybody's not going to be completely happy because kids will always, no matter what, we all do this. We all view ourselves better than we probably are in reality. <laughs> and so we don't want kids you know, on our team that say, oh, yeah, I'm happy being 13. We want them to think that their start should be starting. And so everybody can't start. Everybody can't be All-American. And so uh, this will always happen, and it's always happened that well, there will be these situations where kids have to wait. Do I want to stay and I may not get as much playing time as these other schools are telling me that I'm going to get, you know, or, or do or do I want to go or do I want to stay? So always this will always happen this way. And, you know, if you follow it over the course of years over transfers, not many of them go to the places and do what they think they're going there to do. You know, they're all told, they'll come here, you're going to play more here, you don't have a spot for you. But if you start listing the transfers over time, not just from here, yeah. but major Division One programs where kids leave, very rarely does it work out the way that they think it's going to. Um, talking about the, uh, you know, you talk about the juniors leaving early. The recruiting kind of season is starting to, to heat up a little bit. Is it fun for you? I mean, do you still enjoy the whole recruiting process? Sure. Yeah, it's it's, it's extremely exciting. It's, it's very competitive. And it's so much different than the NFL because the NFL basically, 
you wait to pick your players. You know, you get to pick every 32 picks for the most part. You know, in free agency, you have so much money, and they they may or may not be interested in you. This really, you can go develop your team and develop your roster by outworking people. And so that's always been the way that we've approached it. You know, how can we find a, a, a way to, to get more information to make sure that these guys know that USC is the best place for them? And so uh, we're just in a continual process of trying to figure out the recruit and everyone around them and, um, you know, to develop our roster. And you can see how fast you can change your roster. You know, if you go and look at – if you look at the star players making plays, you know, sure, there's there's Matt Barkley in there and there's TJ McDonald you know, and there's Matt Khalil. But you have a majority of your impact plays by kids that were signed here in the last two years. Mm-hmm. You know, and you see the what are five freshmen all American this year. And out of twenty four guys, that's that's pretty <laughs> big, you know. A lot of conferences didn't have five probably. So um, you can see the impact that that's changed. We've completely changed um, our receiver group. You know, you just see what happened. We've completely changed our linebacker group when we got here and so to see these guys play right away. It was just a reminder of, of how critical recruiting is. And I mean, look at the touchdown passes. I think Matt threw 39. I want to say 36 of them were to freshman or to Robert. So um, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty good. Uh, I mean, the the whole recruiting process. What makes? I mean, you've always been known as kind of a good recruiter. Is it kind of like a politician thing where you remember every face and every name? I mean, what makes what you think like someone a good recruiter, a coach a good recruiter? Well, I think that's a, there, there's a million things you can answer that with. Um, I think experience sometimes as you develop relationships throughout the country and places you've been before, and when you go in with a plan, and maybe you've recruited something from that school or from that area, and you go in with a plan and they come here and it develops and, and you follow through with it, then what happens, you go back there again, and they know, hey, they remember the story. Hey, I remember when you guys came here and said to Dwayne Jarrett, this was going to be the case. You know, this is how it was going to go, and that's how it went. So uh, a lot of it has to do with your connections. And then also you have to be able to show everyone's going to go in and tell these kids how good they're going to be. And if they come here, they're going to do all these great things. But you need to be able to show that. And this goes all the way back to, I believe, as great of players as we had here with Carson and Troy and all the great players, I believe Mike Williams changed the structure of national recruiting for the University of Southern California. When he came here and caught 81 passes for 1,265 yards, as a true freshman from all the way from Florida, that what happened right there gave us the ability to go anywhere in the country and not say, come to USC, here's what we think we can do with you. Come to USC, here's what we can do with you. And here's a, here's a great example of it. And here's a kid from a long ways away, not from right down the road, coming to this. And that helped us for years. And then the next guys, the Dwayne Jarrett's and the Brian Cushing's and the Keith Rivers, those just kind of helped the next guys. And now you're seeing it done you know, with guys, even though he's, whether wherever they're from, a guy like Marquise Lee to do his stats, or Robert Woods a year ago, or the, or the three starting freshman linebackers, that that helps because it's not just a plan that you're showing them. You're showing them that it's worked, and this is how, how they can come to it. Um, so we talked about recruiting a little bit. Your staff, uh, there hasn't really been a lot of turnover and stuff like that. Obviously, Willie Mike left during the season. Has there been any decision on Sammy Knight coming on as a full-time guy, or is he already a full-time guy for you guys, or, or where the future of the secondary position would be? Yeah, we've been so involved in recruiting that we have not done anything with that. Um, Sammy really was full-time, basically. You know, I mean, he coached all our DBs the whole whole season, did a great job for us, and um, is still involved helping us recruiting. So we'll probably figure that out more as recruiting slows down. And your dad, uh, come on, I mean, he took a little heat after the first year this last year. I mean, 
I guess his job's probably a little more secure with you. Does he have a, a long term plan or for you know how long he wants to be in the in the game? Well, he's going to coach forever. I mean, that's, it. that's all he does. He doesn't do anything else. And so, um, regardless of where he is, I, I know that he'll do that. Um, but they did. They really played a lot better from year one to year two, but especially down the stretch. You know, um, they played, we played really good football, and that's not easy to do with three freshman linebackers. You know, you usually play three freshman linebackers. You're going to get a ton of yards, ton of points, because it's hard to do. You know, that's the hardest position for freshmen really to play because so much is involved in it. So um, I thought our staff did a great job on defense, especially down the stretch. And then even early on, you know, they, they carried us too. You know, we weren't playing a very good offense at times in the first few games. Um, two quick things before we let you go. I know we gotta, you got to get back on there recruiting and stuff. Uh, future at left tackle with Khalil gone, what do you think? We don't know. You know, we, we're not, not even trying to figure that out right now. You know, once we're just focused on recruiting, we're going to have all spring to figure that out. And then one last thing, uh, are you pleased with the progress of the John McKay Center and how you think that's going to affect recruiting for you? Yeah, it's great, you know, to see, you know, we have a video of what it's going to look like and then to walk through it and the workers are unbelievable out there. Uh, Mark Jackson has really head, headed that whole project up and um, has gone above and beyond what we initially thought it would look like. So it's exciting. We're actually taking some pizza out of the workers today. Nice. <laughs> Very cool. Well, Coach Jeff, I really appreciate you coming on our, our 200th Parastyle podcast. First time we had the head coach on and hopefully have you on again in the future. Thanks very much. Right. We're going to try to make number 300 for you. I think they're, all right, cool. See you. Listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So, for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. All right, welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed that one-on-one sit-down with uh, USC head coach Lane Kiffin. And we've had a, during the break, we had a little heated discussion about uh, Armand Armstead and Eric Armstead. That was kind of fun. I don't think we'll get into that. We've got a lot about. We, we got a little bit. That's we got to stay clear of that a little bit. But we did. Have, we have a couple questions. I think we're going to do a, uh, a recruiting blast tomorrow, Gerard. So you want to do that? We can. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more because there's some people talking about Eric Armstead, but. Uh, we did have some nice people that came out to uh, watch our little roundtable thing. I wasn't sure. We just wanted to kind of get the people together. Harvey Hyde's idea there. But we wanted to uh, let, some, let some questions, quote, unquote, live here for the, for the panel. So first up, uh, we have Nick. Here you go. Hi, I'm Nick from uh, Cyprus. I was wondering what your guys' thoughts on the whole situation at Penn State. And then a recruiting question, what's the status on Ellis McCarthy? Um, I'll do should, should I get to Penn State or uh, Ellis McCarthy Ellis before McCarthy we go into Penn State? Like okay, go ahead. Uh, status of Ellis McCarthy, um, not really much change for him. He's uh, went to an unofficial visit uh, to UCLA this past weekend. Like the unofficial visit, starting to get the new coaching staff, kind of getting to know them. Um, his dad was there as well. His dad actually took into practice uh, the, week after, or the week before and was down there kind of checking things out. Um, they know Demetrius Martin, who's the new defensive backs coach, uh, at UCLA was just hired from um, from Washington. So, you know, there's there's some established relationships there with some of the coaches, so that's a good thing for UCLA. They don't have to really start all over. What I'm hearing, though, that might be a hiccup for UCLA is that 
uh, Mike Johnson, their offensive coordinator last year, uh, who's going to be the interim coach uh, for their for their bowl game, um, is probably not going to be brought back, especially at this point with uh, Mazzoni, who is now officially uh, the Arizona State offensive coordinator, is now going to be UCLA's offensive coordinator next year. Uh, so it looks like Mike Johnson's out. Mike Johnson's actually the guy that was recruiting Ellis McCarthy uh, for UCLA this past year. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how it develops. You know, he's not going to take his official visit uh, to USC until after the bowl game, uh, after the Army All-American Bowl. So we'll kind of see how he lines up his visits. If UCLA gets the last visit, if USC gets the last visit, I'm almost assured that UCLA will get a visit, get an official visit, and USC will get an official visit. Kind of how the rest fall out and stack up, it it just depends. But uh, as we've said throughout the recruiting process, even before this coaching change, really thought it was going to end up being UCLA and USC. He would stay close to home, and it's just going to depend on whether you know he buys into this new, hey, we're turning around the program, Jim Mora kind of you know sales pitch, or if he's going to go with what he's liked about USC and why USC has been his leader now for the past uh, few weeks. We're just going to have to see how it develops. There's a lot of recruiting to go with uh, Ellis McCarthy. And then, uh, guys, what about the uh... – Penn State situation. Nick's actually a, an Iraqi war veteran who would listen to the Peristyle podcast over in Iraq. So thanks for that. We, one of Nick our international is a genuine badass. Yeah. Yeah. So does that count as an international question? Like is that yeah. a, that, is, that is an international. We love international question. questions. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it, 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 it got voted as one of uh, the AP top ten news stories of the year. So when you get a sports story that jumps over into top ten news stories, uh, you know you've got something really big. I actually uh, was in. Uh, uh, in Pennsylvania a couple of years as a columnist and sports editor. Got to cover Penn State football for those two years. Uh, got to know Joe a little bit. Uh, and my wife also worked at the Philadelphia Inquirer, and uh, she did uh, some pieces on, uh, on Joe. One of the things, I got to know him a little bit because when I was the SID at Xavier, I got to be friends with Al McGuire, uh, the Marquette coach, who grew up in Brooklyn with Joe. And they had gone back a long way. So I got to end up spending a lot of time with Joe. And he was an interesting guy. Joe's an Ivy League guy, a very smart guy, went to Brown, but a very tough guy, and a guy who could be very, very mean as well. Uh, I thought Joe had the ability at times to do things that he shouldn't have done. For example, when he started second-guessing USC on the Dwayne Jarrett case and kind of bringing up stuff that just, like, you know, off the wall. Uh, he could also be really gracious, you know, a guy that he and his wife gave over $4 million to the library at Penn State and all of that. A real interesting contradiction. I think when push came to shove, it's all going to come down on Joe. Because I think when he found out what was going on, I don't think he wanted to know about Sandusky. Uh, but when, because uh, Sandusky played for him, then he was his number one coach. But we all knew, I think, when Sandusky retired at the age of 55, as Joe's potential successor and just walked away, didn't consider any other coaching and all that, something odd was going on. I think most of us knew in 1998 that there was a case involving the district attorney and boys in showrooms and all that where it all of a sudden was dropped and it just went away. And I think what happened was once Joe found out what he was told by uh, Mike McQuarrie, Joe did tell the people at Penn State, but what he didn't do was tell them what to do and what he wanted done. And if you've ever been to Penn State, you know, you've got a president of the university or you've got the, you know, mayor of State College or whatever, Joe Paterno was number one. 
completely in Happy Valley and the whole area. And until Joe decided what he wanted done with Sandusky, nothing was going to be done. And I, I feel sorry in some ways for the vice president who got fired and the athletic director because they basically sat on it because they didn't know what Joe wanted them to do. And Joe never told them what, what to do, and it just stayed there. How that, I think what we need to find out is what was the contract that Sandusky, what kind of a deal did Sandusky sign off on when he was, uh, when he retired but kept his, they made him an emeritus professor, they kept, you know, gave him, you know, he stayed on the university internet, he kept his keys, he kept his parking place, he kept on the faculty roster, kept an office, all things that were unheard of for a, a guy who was technically an assistant professor in physical education. So we don't know that part of the story, but I think it comes down to Joe. If Joe would have wanted something done immediately, something would have been done immediately. Joe didn't ever indicate what he thought ne needed to be done. Why he didn't, I don't, you know, is it this whole image thing and football was just so important that they couldn't un allow people to think that their number one assistant and their former, you know, really good football player was doing things like this. I don't know, but it comes to Joe, unfortunately. It's really sad, but... Dan, I agree with everything you said exactly, 100%. I want you to know I've been a head football coach. There anything doesn't happen in a football program when you're the head football coach that you're not supposed to know about and handle. If, if, if an assistant coach didn't come to me and tell me what he'd have said, I'd have fired him on the spot before I fired the other guy that was doing things he shouldn't be doing. And uh, I understand, I feel sorry in a way for McCrary because this kid is a graduate assistant. He's scared to death. He doesn't know what to do, so he calls his father. He's trying to become a member or going to football and so on, and sort of the blame's being pushed on him. Why don't you stop it? Why didn't you do this? He's intimidated, intimidated by Sandusky. He can't do anything. He, I'll ruin your coaching career. I can hear the type of statements that can be threatening to a young coach, okay? So, and I, and I somewhat had the opportunity of meeting Joe Paterno before, too. You're exactly correct. On every single thing he does, there is nothing that happened at that university, or at least when I was on campus for a period of time, that didn't go through his office first on anything regarding anything. And I think what it was, he did not want to jeopardize the football program and the university. The football program meant more to him and himself and the family there than anything else. And I think that they didn't really realize that someday those kids would grow up and this someday would become exposed and it wouldn't go on forever. And eventually that decision that they made not to follow through with it is what's now costing them uh, and you, as you said, one of the biggest sports stories of the year. Yeah, that they didn't think about the kids. They didn't put the kids first, and they exactly needed to put right. the kids first. I thought it was interesting. Friday, they read Paterno's, he's, uh, because now he's being treated, you know, both he broke his pelvis and he's being treated for lung cancer, so he couldn't be at the trial, the preliminary trial anyway. And uh, they read his testimony, and I thought it was so interesting. When McQuarrie calls him up Saturday morning and says, i got to come over and talk to you, Coach, and Paterno said, if you're going to come over and ask me about the graduate assistant job and getting a full-time job, he said, don't do it. I don't have anything for you. And McQuarrie said, coach, it's not about that. But I thought it was interesting that, that Paterno told him uh, to uh, uh, don't come over and ask me for a job. Which, <laughs> so the, but, but then he did get a job, and he's been on the staff ever since. And there are people who wonder, 
is that, you know, something that has connection with, uh, with his uh, connection to the case? And we don't know. Coach, this is a, feels a lot like when we're doing your show at the Burger Continental, when you got the food arriving and we're talking about This is great. This is good stuff. We just had our lunch arrive here at McKay's. It's awesome. Uh, we do have one other. We had another comment for the group. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap up the show pretty soon, but uh, here we go. There's one other comment. I'm Jeff Crowther from Chino Hills. I just had a statement to say about uscfootball.com and what all the guys and gals do week in and week out for all of us fans that are either here in the U.S. or like Nick here from Iraq, where we can all keep up with the SC, what's going on day in, day out, recruiting, coaching, whatever's going on. So I just want to say thank you to everybody. Well, thank, thank you, you Nick. Thank you very much. I'll tell you what, this big kid here from Iraq, I'd like to have him one time cover kickoff. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, if you're not doing anything this afternoon, just go around with me. You can be my bodyguard. I, I want you to know. Cool. Thanks, Jeff. And yeah, thanks, Nick, for and all Nick, your service yeah, there. Thank you. And we do have a, a, an anonymous uh, diner with us who doesn't want to. I guess he was called out on the peristyle for he had he used the microphone last time. We, we did a show like this before uh, for signing day a couple years back, I think. And so now they, uh, he's not going to say anything, but he's here. He says hello, and uh, he's enjoying his sandwich there. Uh, I guess one, I, I guess we do one last thing before we let everyone go. We're kind of jumping into our food here. Um, I, went, I meant to ask Lane Kiffin about this, and we didn't have time. Uh, they had to wrap things up. They only had so much time. He had to get back up there and do some recruiting. USC was kind of under the radar this year and a lot of times. And, people, and a lot of the fans got upset because Matt Barkley didn't go and uh, you know, go to, to – to the Heisman ceremony in New York, and USC at six and one, or, or eight and two, or whatever, they were the lowest ranked USC teams or unranked USC teams. First time in history that teams like that were coming in, heading into the the Notre Dame game, heading into the Oregon game. They just weren't that highly ranked. I think a lot of people that were ranking the team anticipated a loss the following week, so they weren't ranked as high as they should have been. Then after they, you know, after they beat Notre Dame, they bounced up a little bit. After they beat Oregon, obviously they bounced up again, and, and now they're AP top five. So there's a lot of ways that the national media and even local media in some respects have kind of overlooked this USC Trojan team. Do you think that actually helped as far as focus goes? Where And, and Coach or Dan, anyone or Gerard, I think it really kind of helped this team stay focused and stay the course. They talk about no distractions that was on the field. There wasn't any distractions this year because people weren't putting really any expectations on this team. Next year, going into the year, say Matt Barkley comes back, they're AP number three to start the season. There will be more ex- expectations. There, there could be more distractions. They will be going to a bowl game. I don't think they'll be overlooked. Do you think that's something that helped this team and could it hurt this team in the future? Well, I, mean, I think the thing that you noticed about this team was you didn't have anybody anymore who had come here to be the next Reggie Bush. There was none of that. Nobody came in here and said, uh, and I think that really hurt him. I think that's where Paul D. probably couldn't have been more, more incorrect. I'll get a Paul D. reference in here. But he thought the USC was benefited so much by Reggie Bush. I think Reggie Bush turned out to be kind of a net negative, and the Heisman trophies in some ways, where you had a lot of guys coming in who wanted to be that guy. And instead of seeing that, you know, Carson Palmer's, Heisman was a, was a result of what happened with that team, and, and Matt Liners probably as well. Uh, you know, you can't, you know, come in and say, I want to be that guy. And you didn't have anybody like that. And, and I'll be honest, I think the most important guy in terms of doing, in turning the attitude around was Robert Woods. 
I think Robert Woods came in as a freshman, and you know he was pretty highly touted and all that. But he's this humble kid who never gets out of his playbook, and he just keeps playing and playing and playing, and he plays when he's hurt, and he blocks people. I mean, as good a blocking you know wide receiver as you've ever seen, maybe you know better than any big time wide receiver you've ever seen in terms of the way he blocks people, and. Uh, I think he set a tone, and I think Red Ellison and Christian Tupo. And there wasn't any of the uh, guys like that, you know, who may be going to think about the NFL. None of them even got, you know, even talked about agents or talked about the NFL. Whereas the year before, I think you had a lot of guys thinking, well, it's got to be the individual things have to take precedence. And with this team, all you, all you saw was that it was all about the team. So I'm not sure if the, the ratings or rankings or whatever would have impacted them one way or the other. I think they, they just, this was a different team in a different place. And they didn't see themselves as, you know, uh, I mean, Lane does a good job of making sure he knows where all the records are and what the numbers are and lets the kids know that. But it doesn't get out of hand. It's an interesting way. Lane is very locked into the numbers. And the players know that. But that didn't seem to impact them in any negative way. It's kind of an interesting thing the way Lane does that, because uh, they basically stayed focused on today's practice and this week's game and nothing else. That was an interesting. It wasn't like any other USC team we'd seen in a long time. Maybe go back to 2002. Uh, that 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 might have been the team. The same kind of thing where they weren't thinking about you know individual honors and then they ended up you know, winning the Orange Bowl and, and ended up in you know, a top four. And this team, very similar to that, where they weren't thinking about those individual things. Were you there, Coach? Well, you know, I think uh, what they did is a good job of turning a negative to a positive. As a football coach, you always like to look at the big picture, and the big picture is we can't do these things. We're not going to a bowl game. So every game's a bowl game. And we want to ruin somebody else's chance to go to a bowl game. And we want the Pac-10 to understand that, hey, you know, you didn't stand up for us when we needed you. Where were you, Larry Scott? Where were you, all the rest of the members of the Pac-10 at that time, when they were, when they were doing these type of penalties to us? Why didn't we stick together and you support us on these penalties being too much for a team? No, this, the, the Pac-10 used it as a way to try to gain on USC. So you take all of this and you turn the negative to a positive and you say, hey, guys, we don't care about anybody else but ourselves. I mean, who cares what anybody thinks about how good we are? We can win or we can spoil or we can achieve whatever we need to achieve. And, and another thing, too, as a football coach, I would look at the coaches poll and I'd say, I dare you. You're not putting this in your coaches poll. I mean, all you guys that are in the coaches pool voiding, you guys live in glass houses. What are you talking about? You could be next. Anybody could be exposed by the NCAA. And for them not to allow them to be voted in these polls, I think is absolutely ridiculous. Who are you trying to hurt? Kids that were in the ninth grade or 10th grade when all of these things were coming down, you're not going to allow them to be in polls? I think that's ridiculous. I think that's immature by the coaches. I think a lot of things towards USC has been very immature by supposed uh, administrators with doctor degrees and people who are running professional organizations to come back and do the type of treatment or treat USC the way they've treated them where it can happen on any campus in America at any given time. 
Of course, I think what some of them think is, no, it can't happen to us. We're in the SEC. They, they won't dare do that to us because uh, we know where all the bodies are buried. Or uh, the Big Ten says Jim Delaney, won't, their commissioner, he won't let it happen to us. And I think the USC case was one of those cases where they knew they could get away with it. They knew the Pac-12 wouldn't do anything about it, and they got lucky USC didn't do anything about it. Uh, so I think most of those schools know that, yeah, the NCAA could do it to us if they wanted to, but they're never going to want to. It's like the Ohio State AD twice has lectured the NCAA about get out of here with those uh, USC penalties. We're not taking those. Those aren't, you're not taking any bowl games away from us. And you're just not. And told them, don't come here with those USC penalties. All right. Well, uh, that's a great show for you guys. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, thanks to uh, Dan Weber for coming on, joining us. Coach Harvey Hyde. Gerard Martinez, who, Gerard, you want to come on tomorrow? You want to do another show tomorrow? Yeah, we're not doing it from here, though, right? No, no, we're not going to do it from here. You don't have to drive off. Were you on the 60 again? Was 60. it How bad was it? Uh, 60 was good. It was, uh, and they, it was interesting to see the overpass that was yeah. burned away. Yeah, they, they're destroying the other half it's of it, too, aren't there. they? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's totally, uh, totally gone. It's kind of an odd-looking situation, but it's still better than the situation I got stuck in trying to come down to the live show last week. Yeah, so coming to the live show, Gerard was about a half hour late because the entire 60 was blocked off with that tanker fire here in Los Angeles, if you didn't hear about it. it was, actually, it was on the national news, uh, so it was a pretty interesting thing. But um, thanks also to Lane Kiffin for coming down the show, and thanks for our, our guests here. They're joining us for lunch. It was great. I'm, you know, we can continue our roundtable discussion afterwards. I'm glad people come down. And great idea, Coach Harvey Hyde. Thanks for... Uh, Think of something like this. We want to do something special. You know, the Peristyle Podcast, we kind of just started just for fun. And it's kind of grown and grown. And everywhere we go, people talk to us about the podcast and say, oh, they have quite, they send in questions. And we've been getting more and more viewers and people downloading the show. So I think we've had like 12,000 people download like the last episode or something. So some, some big wow. numbers there. People are downloading the show. So we really appreciate it. I'm glad it's getting out there. And and we can reach people like Nick all the way over in Iraq, and we've had yeah. Know, hey, can, can we get a, a special toast to, to Nick? Sure, yes. And uh, Nick. The, the the troops that are coming back home. Yes, uh, out of Iraq. That's a so, great idea, Gerard. Uh, cheers to those guys. Cheers, Thank you very yes. much, Nick. Right on, uh, yeah. right on, Nick. Right on, Nick. Thanks very much, and uh, thanks again for everyone tuning in for our 200th episode of the Peristyle Podcast. We'll come back tomorrow with a Trojan blast talking with Gerard Martinez. More on USC football recruiting. Don't forget, Wednesday is the first day early enrollees can sign. So there could be some news coming down from that. So we'll get a preview of that with Gerard. And we do have a bunch of recruiting questions sent in. If you have more, just email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. We'll try to get them on the show. I want to wish everyone a happy holidays. Thanks again for tuning in. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow with Gerard on the Trojan Blast. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.